You stand with us as we begin this morning. Strength will rise when we wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, who reign forever, our hope, our strong. with us today as we go into this morning there are a few things uh, just to make sure that you're where we are going to be observing the communion here in just a little bit and uh, doing a little bit earlier in the service is uh, a, a very good reason that we're doing that today and that is is that we have today with us several of our children and throughout the year we try our best to bring them in to observe things like this and to have it as part of the conversation then that follows as they head back out into their time. And so in just a little bit, we will be observing the communion. If you did not uh, receive a communion cup, our ushers will be going back through the aisle here in just a little bit and you can just simply get their attention and they'll make sure that uh, uh, you receive one of those here in just a moment. We've got several that we're praying for and uh, also rejoicing with. Congratulations to the Greaves family and uh, their uh, newest addition, Cooper Jonathan, came into the world Thursday and uh, very uh, excited for them and uh, both mom and baby are doing fine. Nobody ever really worries about the dad, but uh, at the same point, 
why we'll pray for him too, I guess, in all of this. Uh, but to be in prayer for Jen and Nathan and adjustment of the family and, and uh, pray for uh, Matt and Rosemary because now we'll just, they're going to be absent from life, you know, hugging and holding on to the newest one. But uh, anyway, uh, congratulations to them and as well as the Pollock family. Uh, I want to mention as well that we're praying for some others. Uh, there's been some different ones. Uh, uh, someone just came up to me just a little bit ago and and Lydia Jensen, this is uh, Susan's granddaughter, 17 years old, uh, very serious condition physically. And uh, so be in prayer for her. And then also we've got others that are mentioned in our bulletin and uh, they're the program and uh, different ones that we have that are on ongoing needs that we're praying for and praying with. Uh, along with that, don't forget to be in prayer for Rebecca and Marina who are in Spain. They landed just a few hours ago and uh, they have a page that they've created on Facebook if you are interested in kind of keeping up with them and their journey there. But uh, be in prayer for them and that uh, the Lord would greatly use them and encourage them even this morning. Let's open our time here this morning in prayer as uh, we think about uh, what we're getting ready to get into as we open our hearts and minds to what his word has for us as we model his sacrifice in the observance of the communion as we share in testimony to these things and as we uh, listen and hear but also respond within our hearts. I pray that our hearts are open and receptive to what his word has for us even today. Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, we come into this time where we prepare our hearts for Thanksgiving, the season of giving thanks. Lord, there is that sacrifice of praise. There is that offering of gratitude. And so Lord, we come before you this morning with open hands and open hearts, ready to distribute and to give, but at the same time to be replenished, to be overwhelmed by the generosity of your grace and your kindness to us. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll bless our time here this morning as we reflect upon these truths, upon your sacrifice and upon your goodness. And we pray for those who are away from us and those that we care about, those that are dear to our hearts. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray for uh, Linda Smith. I, I pray for uh, the, the Shenfield family. I ask, Lord, that you give them encouragement. I, I pray for uh, the Halls and uh, the different challenges going on in their family life. Uh, Lord, so many that are going through diagnosis and tests and all of these things. And Lord, we know that even in this season as well, there are some empty chairs. There are some places left vacant because, Lord, you have seen fit to take them to be home with you. And so, Lord, our heart goes out to our friends and to our family. And Lord, to those that are going through hardship. And then, Lord, we rejoice. And just as the book of Ecclesiastes reminds us there is a time to die, and there is a time to be born. And Lord, we're grateful for the life that has entered into this world and, and little Cooper, and I pray that you'll give him strength. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them as a family and pray for Jen and Nathan as they go through this next stage with together this little life. And Lord, grateful for their family. Bless them, I pray. Lord, speak to our hearts today. And Lord, if there is one here today that doesn't know you as his or her savior, Lord, may the generosity of your heart be so clearly seen, and may your grace ring true in their lives. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen.
We're getting ready to observe the communion here this morning, and as we do that, I hope that our hearts will open in anticipation to what it means to reflect upon the goodness and the sacrifice of our Lord. If you did not receive a communion cup, our ushers are willing to come back through and to offer that to you. And so if you have a need for a communion cup there, just lift your hand just briefly there, and they'll be more than happy to provide that for you. We're going to be looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, as the place where we'll give attention to this time, this reflection that Christ brings. And the Gospels that record this, the only one that does it is John's Gospel, but uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all of them extend some recognition to uh, what it means to uh, observe this season, this time that Christ is entering into as he's preparing for uh, what will be in just a few hours, uh, the, the sacrifice that he is willing to give, the passion of our Lord, that sense of his urgency and design and desire. And so Mark chapter 14, we, we see here the, uh, the, the testimony of his desire for his disciples starting in verse 12. And it talks about on that first day of the unleavened bread when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he establishes a place and he sends them into an upper room and he tells them that this is where we're going to meet. And then in verse 22 is where we get the, the picture, the identity of this, the last supper, this time of observance here with his, his disciples. And it says, while they were eating, he took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. Obviously, they're looking at that and recognizing that, wait a minute, hold on, that's just bread. But he's giving to them something of significance, of value, of something to remind them of what it means to wholeheartedly be ready to be given for the purpose that God the Father has called him, asked him, and commissioned him, and sent him to be this sacrifice for our sins. This is my body. And it's ready to be broken for you. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said to them, drink from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. And truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is our time to observe. And as a parent sitting there with your child, as a person that is perhaps even wrestling with your own decision about who Jesus Christ is. I hope that through even what we're getting ready to observe and you're watching others doing this, I hope that our hearts will be again reminded or perhaps for you challenged to think about who this person Jesus really is as the savior of the world, the, the hope of our soul and the one who gives to us what we need and that is life and life eternal. As we think about what he says here about the bread, he says he took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. That little cup that you have there, if you'll notice at the bottom there is where that wafer is found. You can peel that back and take that out. And thinking about this as a symbol, this is a, a, a sort of a, a picture of what he is describing. This little piece of bread as it is broken for us, his body then would be broken on that cross totally poured out, given an exhaustion to our need and to our sin problem and appreciating that we needed a savior. And I hope that's what's true of all of your hearts here this morning, the recognition of how truly desperate and in need we were and perhaps even for you today, you are in need of a savior. 
As we take this piece of bread and we think about it, I hope that as we get ready to take it within our body, that we will appreciate what Christ was willing to do for us. And now the question is, is what we will be doing for him with the bodies that God has given to us. Take, eat. We sing with me. Alas, did my Savior and next thing he did is he took a cup, several cups that were part of the Passover ceremony there. But this cup and the speaking of redemption is that one that also would be the hope of the Messiah, the coming redemption that would come through one who would be sent. As he takes the cup and that significant one there, as you peel that piece of foil off the top of that and reveal the juice underneath, he's thinking about what Christ was willing to do in the sense of the, how far he would go. It's one thing to be physically abused, but it's another thing to be so abused to the point of willing to lay down your very life, the very existence. The scripture talks about life is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin. And when he exhausted his very resources, everything about him, and the giving up of everything that he needed to, to cover and to take care of the debt that we owed and we could never pay. And in his grace and in his love and in his mercy, he extended himself, and he went so far to be torn in two for us. Thinking about what Christ has done, may this truly be a testimony of his covenant to us in blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Take this now and drink you all of it. Marvelous grace of our loving Grace that exceeds our sin and take this opportunity to reflect, to remember that it would be an event that is past tense for us in every aspect, that Lord, the work of the cross is something that is done in history, but yet our place in your family as we have been introduced by your grace into that family is also something that we look back to and we appreciate the work that you've done, the ministry of your spirit, the giving of grace to us. But Lord, I pray for that life that is here this morning 
whether it's in that young boy or girl or whether it's that young person, or maybe it's that mom or dad or maybe even that grandparent, Lord, I pray that you would speak to that heart that does not have the confidence, the assurance that by the grace of God, they have been saved and that their sins have been forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would speak to that heart today to show them how generous you really are and what you have done to go to every length necessary to give to them the hope of eternity, not just simply a comfortable life here, but something greater to look for when this life is done. Speak, Lord, to our hearts today, and may you be seen, may you be heard. Lord, let us be true reflections of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Stand with us again as we continue worshiping in song. I believe in the Son.
dismiss our kids at this time. Amazing grace. Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians again this morning, and we come back again to the thought that we introduced last week, the faces of grace. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, as we will get into them, we'll be reading some sections as we move through this, this time together this morning, but at the heart of this, this is probably two of the most specific passages that Paul the Apostle writes regarding the aspect of giving, but really the word that is key and central in this section is the word grace. 
Thinking about what grace is and its efficiency, its enablement, it's that divine favor that comes upon us because we are not deserving of it, but because God is a generous God, he chooses to give anyway. And by his very nature and by who he is, he satisfies everything that we need because that's God. That's what God does. A group of people were once asked, and they, were, they went through uh, some streets, and it's kind of interesting the, uh, the, the different groups of people that answered this, these questions, but they, they did some street interviews on the idea of, of generosity and asked and posed a couple of questions, what makes it hard to be generous? And thinking about it in that sense, and then another question was posed, is there anything in human nature that works against being generous? I want you to listen to some of the responses from that, uh, that interview. What do you think makes it hard for people to be generous? I, I think people are just are very, very strongly conditioned to uh, meet their own and their, and their family's needs first. Um, also just people thinking that other people are going to do it, so I don't have to. For a lot of people, money buys happiness and you're not going to be generous with the money you have. In this day and age, you know, there's so many things to worry about in your own circumstances. Do you think there's anything in human nature that, that works against generosity? Yeah, well, yes, I mean, quite clearly a, a selfishness gene that's quite strong in most of us. You think about the faces of grace according to First, Second Corinthians 8 and 9. It flies in the face of what we are naturally like in the sense that by nature we tend to be very selfish-minded. And the power of God's grace to us shows to us a model and gives to us a demonstration of someone who had everything and chose to give that up. And this is not a Hallmark movie, by the way. This is the reality of God's example. And it's amazing that we look at Christ's example as the identity of how we expect other people to be towards us generous and kind. And yet how hard it is then for us to be reciprocal of that very aspect of the very nature of God. It's one thing to say that we should be, that we have a reason to be, but just how generous are we? Joshua Crowther answers that question, that very question of just how generous are we? Well, it's a good question. For most of us, we think, well, we're really generous. You know, if anything happens, I'll look after the person next to me. But the question is, how much do we give charitably? And we can look empirically at those numbers. And the answer is, well, not that much. The reality is the average person gives about 0.5% uh, to charity of, of the income that they make every year. And if we look at weekly church attending Christians, that number is about 2%. So 2% of all weekly church attending Christians' income is given to charity, including their church. Uh, so I think that's a far cry from, uh, from the generosity we're really called to. You know, at the heart of our giving is the grace of our God. In 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, it speaks of the faces of grace. You see grace all throughout. And it's, we talked about this, how at least six different ways grace is referred to. The word that we would refer to as grace, is translated as grace, is a word that's also used in five different other ways, four different other ways. Gracious, favor, thanks. 
And what does God's word have to say? It's not a manipulative, emotional tug at your heartstrings. It's not some guilt tactic. But what does God say about being a generous person? I want you to notice some observations from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 that I think that make clear what Paul is trying to emphasize to these believers as they are confronted with an opportunity to be generous to meeting the needs of someone else. Notice with me observation number one, that circumstances do not dictate generosity. Grace does. In chapter 8 and verses 1 through 5, you'll notice, and our brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. By the way, the word favor there is translated as American that I'm reading from is the idea of grace, that they have the grace of participation. They have been enabled to participate in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So many times our lives are dictated by the circumstances that we find ourselves in, which is natural, which is normal. Because we emote, we have an emotional response. And really what scripture teaches us is to be prepared for life, to look at life as the opportunity that God places you in every circumstance to magnify the grace of God. God's grace to these Macedonians enabled them to be able to give and they did not give out of abundance. I want you to notice he talks about their deep poverty. These are not wealthy people. But out of their poverty, they choose instead to bring forth the joy of the Lord, to express that in whatever way possible, not in the sense of to their harm or to their detriment, but because they had such a desire to be found opportunistic and to participate in demonstrating the grace of God. They gave out of the joy that comes from knowing Christ and sharing that joy by sharing what they possessed with others. I like how one writer put it when he said, the poverty of the Macedonians is outward and visible. Their wealth is inward and hidden. The former is temporal, the latter is eternal. And what is significant here is that the Macedonians are not examples of generosity. I want you to notice that. He is not describing the Macedonians as people that are giving great sums of money and wealth, but they are far more the examples of God's grace. That they are reflections of how God has gifted them and given to them, and they in turn are choosing now to give out of what they have. Grace is the tangible evidence of God's active favor in your life. The Macedonians are effectively moved by the work of Christ in them to seek to display the gift of God's presence by tangibly meeting the needs of others. And we're not generous because a child in Africa needs a sponsor. We're not generous because a missionary needs our support to reach some unreached part of the world. We're not generous just because we have a building that needs to be built. We're generous because of grace. Because as Christ prompts our hearts and he moves within us, we respond with what we have. 
leads me to the second observation that Paul brings out here is number two, and that is claiming to love does not make you generous. Actions do. It's interesting how often Paul reminds them of this thought. He says in chapter 8, verse 7, he says, just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge, in all earnestness and in love, we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it, but now finish doing it also. So that just as there was readiness to desire it, there will also be the completion of, your, of it by your ability. For God so what, church? And how did we know that God loved the world? There is a sense of giving. And it's not that just God said, okay, I'm just going to send someone, but that by him there is an effect upon your life because if you will believe in who he is, you gain the benefit of God's gracious character in loving you enough to send forth his son who is sufficient enough to forgive you of your sins. It is one thing to say, I love, but that does not make you a generous person. The actions that support it do. Love is not an emotion. Emotions cannot be commanded. I do this a lot with people and I'll say, okay, now I want you to cry. I want everybody in the room to start crying right now. And they're usually like, Usually it turns the other way. They start giggling. That's not what I said. I want you to cry. I want you to be an emotional basket case right now. But when God says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. God is not commanding something that has an emotive nature to it. It's a decision to look out for the well-being of someone else as greater than even for your own well-being. You're making a choice, a decision of value. You're placing that person's interests above your own interest, and you love them. Well, how do you do that? By what you do for them. A heart of generosity is shaped from the heart of God. As you go back then to chapter 8 again, of the second Corinthians passage in verses nine through 11. Therefore, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. To say that you love as Christ loves and yet not possess the willingness to follow through is a direct contradiction to the claim. And generosity is an action that comes from the character of Christ living through you because he is dwelling in you. Another observation that Paul makes about giving is this, number three, giving does not make you generous. Humility does. There's a story in Mark chapter 12, just a couple chapters before where we read even for the Lord's table this morning. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, it says, and he sat down referring to Jesus opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people 
were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she out of her poverty put in all that she owned, all that she had to live on. I want you to freeze on that thought for a moment. One author summarized this thought in this way, in the temple others gave what they could spare, but the poor widow spared nothing. Others gave from their surplus, but she gave from her need all that she had to live on. How much do you need God? The heart of generosity is not based upon what you can give. It's not based upon the fact that you're capable of giving. And in our passage back in 2 Corinthians here, Paul speaks of the response to God impressing upon their hearts to give. It was not so much that these more wealthy Corinthians could outdo the Macedonians. It wasn't to the point that Paul was trying to make. It had more to do with where is your humility? Where is your surrender? Where is your sense of obedience and your sense of seeing your need? Do you ever remember, according to verse 9, how desperate you were for the grace of God? Back in chapter 8 and verse 12, amen. For if the readiness is present, look at chapter 8, verse 12. If the readiness is present, It is acceptable according to what a person has. She's not not in trouble, people. It's okay, all right? Amen. We have a competition, her and I. She tries to out-preach me a lot, but uh, I think she wins most of the time. No, this is good. And believe me, we don't mind having kids in here, so don't, don't take that in any way disparaging. Go look at verse 12 again. If the readiness is present... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. You see, God always knows what's in your hands. In verse 13, for this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. There's that word equality. You know that God does believe in equality? It's just not the definition the world gives it. And he goes on to say in verse 14, at this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much and he who gathered little had no lack. Go over to chapter 9, look at verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. And as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. God asks you to look at what is in your hand. 
One of the neat statements in in the, the journey of Moses back into Egypt is how many times God says to Moses, so Moses, what's in your hand? It's just a staff. I want you to throw it down. <laughs> he runs away, the snake, remember that? And then he says, pick it up, no way. Now, if God had asked me to do that, I'd just pass out right there on the scene, all right? But he puts it back in his hand, it becomes the staff again. I want you to use that staff. It's going to be put over um, you know, seas and rivers and all kinds of things. It's going to demonstrate, Moses, what's in your hand? And church member, he asks us the same thing. What is in your hand? What is it that God has placed there? Giving always comes from an understanding of ownership. I love it when my kids spend my money. Dad, we got to get this. Well, how long have you worked for that? Do you understand the consequences of buying that? Dad, but we need it. Really? Save up your money, son. Giving comes from a heart of understanding of ownership. Let me ask you, believer, who really owns it all? And in our attitude, so much in our earthly way of thinking, we begin to become the controllers, the owners. But we'll give. But it's not about the giving. It's about the humility of who actually owns it. Giving speaks of how we view the priorities of our life giving challenges than how, we, how much we are willing to share with someone else. And by the way, in chapters 8 and 9, it is specifically money. But the principle applies to the resources of your time, the sharing of your talents, the gifts that you possess. Do we hoard those and we hold on to those things? Are we generous as a people? Simply giving it all does not always make you generous. That actually might be foolish. In fact, he speaks to that. This is not something that God is doing to your detriment. This is something that God is asking you to evaluate. What is in your hand now? Humility looks at what God has placed in your life and it surrenders it back to God. It puts the opportunity before you as a way of helping you to evaluate your desires and to help you begin to ask of yourself, what can I do to help? For the widow there in Mark chapter 12, it was everything. Because Mark sees that and Christ uses that because he's going to get to chapter 14 where we read that Christ himself is willing to give everything for the world Sometimes in that widow situation, she was so dependent upon God that she gave all in confidence that God would provide for her, but she was not compelled to evidence her love for God, but yet instead trusted him to take care of her. And this is the model again of chapter 8 and verse 9, where he being rich made himself poor so that we in our poverty could be made rich. Let me interject a fourth quick observation. Miserliness does not make you a generous person either. Giving does. We're in the three that we talked about, giving itself, it's a humility. So I'll just hold on for the rainy day. I'll just keep it up in store. I will evaluate what I will choose to make myself generous for. I will hold it in reserve. 
Miserliness does not make you generous. Giving does. Now you say, okay, I, <laughs> that is obvious. Let's move on. No, I, I think we need to make a point here because he does in chapter 8, verse 15. He who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little had no lack. Now, most of you have in your Bible a little letter or a number, and it tells you where that comes from. And probably about 99.9% .9 of all your Bibles are going to tell you that that is a quote from Exodus chapter 16, verse 18. And if you know your Bible well enough, you know that in Exodus chapter 16, this is when God introduced manna. This is when God sent down the bread of heaven the little honey wafers that could not be described as anything other than that's just manna. We don't even know what that is. And it was what God used to sustain the people for 40 years. How many of you love eating leftovers? Let me see your hand. You're weird. <laughs> I need time. Now, there are some things that my wife eats that I cannot wait but half the time it's gone because I got four boys typically in the house and I can't even, I have to hide food if I have a fighting chance to ever get a leftover bite off the thing. But I am typically one that I, I'm, there's very few meals where I can just go right back at it again the very next day. I kind of need time. I would have died in the wilderness. Can you imagine manna? What's for breakfast? Manna. What's for lunch? Manna. What's for supper? Let me guess. Okay, manna. For 40 years. The most ardent of you would have been just like they were. Lord, give us meat. What's interesting about it though is, is that God gave them an understanding. You can go out in the morning and you can gather and you'll have enough for the day. Now, on Friday, you're going to go out and you're going to gather enough and everything that you gather is going to be enough for you, not only on Friday, but also on Saturday. And of course, there were some knuckleheaded Jews that went out there, and I can kind of say that I'm related to one, and they went out and they decided they were going to gather more than what was necessary. I don't know if they maybe had a commodities resource question, but they hoarded it and it rotted and grew worms. And the one that just got what they thought they would need carried them through the entire day, carried them through the Sabbath, prepared them then for the next day. He who gathered much didn't matter. And he who gathered a little, it was enough. Our miserliness way of thinking, as if somehow we're we're going to somehow outdo God's circumstances. God knows what you need. Now, that doesn't mean be foolish. God also, I tell people all the time, God did something and put something between your ears to do more than keep them apart. It's called a brain. To invest and to prepare and to anticipate the days of, of what might come towards the end. God speaks of that even. But to do it at the cost of generosity is not a reflection of God's abundance in grace. No matter how much you save or how much you put away, the quantity in those mindsets are always going to feel threatened. It's amazing how for the lost, Christ 
put it, when he said, what were you gaining if you were to gain the whole world and yet you lose your own soul? And for the believer, if we solely live for the world, what have we truly gained? We miss the value of living Christ in front of this world. Chapter nine and verse six, now this I say, who who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. My dad, who was a preacher for many years, I can remember him saying, you'll never outgive God and God will never be a debtor to you. When God impresses upon our hearts to be generous, the question I wanna ask myself is, is how much am I willing to plant? Am I only willing to go sparingly or am I willing to go bountifully? Last observation, and that is the self-applause does not make you generous. Gratitude does. This is similar to the one that we just spoke of, but a little bit different. Miserliness is being selfish, but it has the sense of hoarding money and only separating oneself from money if it brings some type of gain. Self-applause is using the moment of generosity to promote one's standing in, in order to gain recognition. The promotion of self is still at the heart of your giving. Back in the day when we passed the plates, remember those old days? That was the world before 2020. And we passed the plates. I can remember there was this little kid in one of the churches. His mom and dad must have given him a whole Ziploc bag of change because the entire church heard him dump it in because he didn't just put the bag in. He unzipped it and into the chain, into the pan it went. That sense of recognition, look at me, look at me, look at me. And we kiss our George Washington, goodbye to never be seen again, you know, kind of a concept. It's that very thought that Christ speaks to there in the widow's might situation. Where these that come, they give and it's there. And it, what's interesting is, is that Every time a gift would be given, it would be evaluated, be evaluated based on the currency, be evaluated on the quantity. And there were certain coffers that it jangled, jangled a little louder than others. And it was almost like they were trumpeted in their giving. I don't think too many people said much about the widow when she stood at the, at the spout. Two coins, two coppers, equivalent to about one penny in our currency. This was not about self-recognition. It is about the gratitude of a person's heart. The rebuttal to self-applause is gratitude, being grateful for what God has given. Chapter nine, look at verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. It's not saying that you're going to be wealthier. It's going to be that you recognize what God is doing in your heart to refine your intentions and your designs and your desires. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing what? Thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. 
because of the proof given by this ministry. They will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all. And while they also by prayer on your behalf yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Giving comes from a heart that sees itself in need. Catch that. We give because we have an understanding of what it means to have a need. And others have given to meet our needs. And this is not about our ability or our quantity of gift. This is not about there just being a need. It is because God in his love and by his grace gave. And he changed our perspective of others and the needs that they have. And so the Macedonians did not have a lot to give but in this moment, they gave out of their poverty. They're the widow mites. And the Corinthians have abundance. And yet Paul speaks of their desire and reminds them of how much they have to rejoice in when in their spiritual poverty, God granted to them the abundance of his grace. Sometimes the only thing you have to give is a kind word. Sometimes the only thing you have to give is a smile. And sometimes the only thing you have to give is the last dollar in your wallet. But does it in the sense of what you're looking for and what you're trying to accomplish with that, does it create a heart of gratitude? God, look at what you've given me. Look at what I have the opportunity now to give to somebody else. To have little or to have much, God is an equal opportunity giver. In chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, where we read in that section there, this concept of equality. The word that's used by Paul is the same one that he used when he referred to Christ in Philippians chapter 2, and specifically chapters five, chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God, a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. When God looks at the Macedonians and he sees the Corinthians, he is saying that God has a way of making you equal. Has nothing to do with your status, has nothing to do with your checkbook, has nothing to do with what you give, has everything to do with what you're grateful for. It is the grace of God because my wealth will not guarantee me a spot in heaven. And so I can give to all the charities of the world, but it has everything to do with what God has gifted to me, his grace, his kindness. And that's what enables me then to take what is in my hand and say it belongs to you, Lord. What do you want me to do with it? And I'm grateful that most of the time God never says, I want you to give it all the way. Aren't you glad of that? God says, I want you to take care of your family. I want you to pay your bills. I want you to be a good testimony to your community. But here's some things that I do want you to do. You see that need? I want you to meet that need. 
oh, but Lord, if I do that, I won't be able to go on vacation. Is that more important right now? Or is the vacation more important? What is it? Because we can find needs all around us. There's always needs. Has more to do with, Lord, am I willing? What's in my heart? And who really owns it? The challenge is always in the tension over who's deciding, who's more important. God has a way of making sure that you have what you need and what we need for reaching our community and what we need for taking care of our families and what we need for building buildings and supporting missionaries, providing for the orphans and the widows and for all that God has called upon us to care for because of a Philippians 4.19 promise where my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What does Grace Baptist Church need to be doing in the world today? And we as a church, we bring our resources together and say, this is what God has asked us to do. Are we willing to trust him to meet our needs? What are we as a people doing in your individual lives and in your walks? Are we submitted to the reality that God does meet our needs? Give out of your abundance. Give as Christ has given. Be willing to give all just as Christ did. If you can leave with one thought, let it be that. Be willing to give all just as Christ was willing to do. And you are the face of grace. You are the expression of God's love and his sufficient supply. Because it has nothing to do with the quantifiable dollars. It has everything to do with the matchless expression of Christ's love and grace to us. And so we go and we give, and we share Christ. Be generous. Be truly generous with what God has gifted to you. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you will help us as we seek to meet the needs, the realization of what's in front of us as a people, not just as one, but together doing more because of what you've created in the church, the body of Christ. And Lord, I pray for that young person that's learning these principles, maybe just starting their first job. And Lord, what will they do with what they get in that check? What will they do when that money comes into their accounts? How will they demonstrate generosity? But more importantly, how will they contribute to what you're about, what you believe in, what you're passionate about? And for those of us in the room that are nearing retirement or maybe already entering into retirement, Lord, let it be that we don't live in foolishness, but Lord, let it be that we don't also live in stubbornness and resentment. Let our hearts remain open and generous. And maybe it's not with our dollars. Maybe it's the mentoring of a young person. Maybe it's taking time and investing. Lord, there's so many different ways we could apply these principles of how we view others and what they need Lord, let us be a people that truly are benevolent and caring and generous. Lord, we do pray for our missions. We do pray for this facility that we're trying to build. And you know what we need. You know what it's going to take. And sometimes what we need is to go through the trial of our faith. And Lord, you supply. Lord, I'm grateful 
grateful for what you give in your goodness and in your righteousness, and we trust you. Teach us to be generous. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us as we sing the closing song, Grace Alone. for your participation in the service. Just a few things uh, before we wrap up. My name is Mike Swanson. I'm the executive pastor here. And a couple of things we want to look at. There's a number of things in your bulletin uh, uh, announcements that we want you to pay attention to. Pay attention to. Uh, but a couple of them I'd like to highlight this morning. First of all, last or a couple of weeks ago, we had our quarterly business meeting. We highlighted finances, missions giving in particular. Uh, we are a little bit behind budget for the year. Um, and so we just wanted to draw that to your attention as the year draws to a close. Uh, you may have opportunities to help with that. 
Uh, we do have some reserves and missionaries have gotten their checks each month as planned, uh, but we do want to uh, make it known that we are a little bit behind and uh, like to see that be brought up to close to the budget before the year's end. So if you can help with that, we certainly appreciate it. And I know the missionaries would as well. Um, in your bulletin, there are a couple of inserts. One of them is a holiday schedule. So that kind of lets us know what's happening over the next few weeks. There are some services and other events that are at different times. So we want you to be aware of that. You can refer to that and we'll have that available in the lobby as well in the weeks to come. But pay attention to those different dates and times and some of the things that will be happening there. And then finally, uh, we do have the Christmas banquet coming up on December 8th at the Brainerd BX. It's a Friday night. Um, if you haven't already, you can register for that and purchase your tickets online. Uh, if you would like to do it today because you haven't done it yet, you can see Conchetta in the lobby or you can just uh, scan the QR code that she has out there and you could do it yourself with your phone online. Uh, one addition that uh, we're announcing now and uh, we've just made these arrangements final is that there will be childcare available. That'll be at Morris Hill Baptist Church. I'll be um, overseen by adults and teens. And so you can sign up for that as well online by using that QR code. Uh, and that'll be available to, available to you. There will be food provided and uh, they'll be well taken care of then. That is all I have for this morning. Thank you again for your presence here and partici participation in the service. Uh, you are dismissed.